Welcome to another Directions Mag podcast, co-hosted with our friends at Eurissa. Hello, uh, my name is Matt Gerricke. I am with Eurissa's Professional Education Committee and uh, uh, one of the folks that, that work with this uh, wonderful podcast series with Eurissa and Directions Magazine. And here we, we have with us today uh, two individuals uh, that work with uh, Eurissa's Vanguard Cabinet and the ERISA Mentoring Network. And so today we, we're, we'd like to talk a little bit about some of the challenges and strategies involved with program management, especially in uh, volunteer organizations. Uh, so today we, we have uh, Rachel and Rachel Laco and Frank Romo with us. Uh, could you please introduce yourselves? Hi everyone, I'm Rachel Aiko, and as Matt said, I am one of the co-chairs of the Vanguard Cabinet's Mentoring Subcommittee, and along with Frank, run the Eurissa Mentoring Network. Hello, my name is Frank Romo, and I am the co-chair of the Eurissa Mentoring Network, along with Rachel. We've been at it for about two years now, and we love this program and are excited to talk about it today. Well, welcome and, and thank you for, uh, for taking the time to, uh, to chat with us. One of the strategies of program management and volunteer organizations is to focus on community and building community around a central interest. Eurissa's mentoring network is an example of a program taking this approach. Frank and Rachel, what's the Eurissa mentoring network and how is it working? The ERISA Mentoring Network is a program designed to connect early career professionals with more experienced geospatial professionals in a one-to-one mentorship structure. The way the program works is that an individual applies to be either a mentor or a mentee, and then our team of volunteers matches the applicants on a cohort basis. There are two cohorts in the spring and one cohort in the fall. Together, the volunteers evaluate all of the different applicants based on their career interests and their geospatial skills, and we pair them, pair mentors and mentees together for a six-month program, which it begins with a kickoff event attended by mentors, mentees, and the Vanguard Cabinet volunteers where we set program expectations and introduce the structure of the program. We ask that mentors and mentees commit six months to the program. This usually takes the form of at least one monthly meeting and mentors and mentees can expect this to last around an hour. Beyond that, the mentor and mentee can choose to meet more frequently if they desire and we provide support and resources as needed. What are some of the challenges, in your view, that volunteer organizations face, especially when launching programs that rely on volunteers and also seek to engage young professionals? The Eurissa Mentoring Network is an organization that is focused on providing mentorship and support to GIS professionals. It is a volunteer-run organization. And one of the things that I think is the hardest, as we all know, folks get busy and there's changes in leadership and transitions of power and you know those are some of the most difficult times to kind of keep the program up and running so far we've been doing a good job through training documentation and you know a lot of our 
volunteers are mentors themselves. So there is a stake involved in trying to make this program live on and have a good legacy. But overall, you know, we run into a lot of the same issues where, uh, you know, folks just have different different priorities, things change, life happens, and um, it can get difficult. But overall, I think we have a good supporting cast with the ERISA uh, Vanguard Cabinet. Membership as a whole has been very supportive. So I think we've gotten a lot of great support from volunteers, and uh, that's helped us stay afloat um, in our first uh, launch of the program. I'll just add to that, that when Frank and I first started about two years ago, one of the things that we found to be very important was creating a roadmap for the program and seeing what we were starting with and where we wanted to end up and all of the steps that we would need to follow in order to get to that end goal of having successfully paired mentors with mentees and to be able to support their mentorship relationship for the duration of the program. And by creating that roadmap early on, we were really able to break down our process and our program into different steps and different roles so that we could task our volunteers with um, very specific tasks in order for them to be able to fulfill them as their schedules changes and as, as the year went on because this program runs continuously and people's time is very variable over the year. And so by breaking the program into specific tasks, we were able to kind of avoid that pitfall of someone gets busy and they're no longer able to, you know, take care of what they need to take care of. We have other folks who know what needs to be done and are able to kind of take that on. So the, the roadmap sounds like a, a great idea for uh, setting up and structuring a, a, a program. Are there other strategies that, that you find useful uh, in developing successful-led volunteer programs, especially ones that you, you want to continue beyond uh, an initial launch. Frank, do you have any, any ideas you can share with us? Absolutely. For any program, there's an ethos that needs to be present for not just the leadership, but those folks who are um, following and supporting. There has to be a, a reason, a passion, a want to make it work. And I think that comes a lot of times from folks experiencing it and recognizing the value that it allows, that it gives them, you know, a value in becoming, in being a mentor, the value in being mentored. And when folks see that value and they connect to it on a personal level, there's more, there's more willingness to, you know, go the extra mile to, oh, I'm tired, I had a long day. Oh, I still got to do that for the mentoring network. And, you know, that that's really where, in my opinion, programs are made and broken because folks really need to be committed. And in order for them to be committed, they have to build part of something greater and they have to feel like it's something that's of value to them in their lives outside of just their professional career. Because we all, you know, have great uh, colleagues and people that we work with, but you know, there's always that, you know, one colleague or one person who, you know, you, you connect with more and of course you wanna talk to them more. And I think it's, no, it's nothing different with a program like this. When you develop relationships and friendships, and you create this support system, it, has, it creates a feedback loop that allows folks to continue to want to give back to the program and continue to want to build the legacy of the program. So that's a great point that uh, for, for folks working with volunteer organizations, it, it, it really gets into that, that, uh, that sense of belonging, that sense of attachment, that, that sense of, of being a part of something in that feedback loop that, that really helps drive uh, interest and, and, and participation. Are there any particular strategies that you've tried with the ERISA Mentoring Network 
to try to engage and, and help your volunteers feel like they're a part of your of the program. So I think one of my favorite ways to be involved in, and very directly involved is serving as a mentor myself. Um, as a very recent college graduate, I was a little bit apprehensive about doing so because I didn't necessarily feel that I had many experiences or, or much to offer in the realm of being a mentor. Um, but talking with Frank about it, he really encouraged me and said, you know, everyone has something to offer. And there are recent college graduates or students who are coming close to the end of their time in college who could really benefit from your perspectives. And so I was encouraged to jump in and serve as a mentor. And Frank and I have really encouraged others um, who are part of the subcommittee to do the same. And I think we've really seen that those folks who do serve as mentors have become more engaged and more invested in the program through their own involvement because they can directly see how their mentees are benefiting. And they also have, we've had the added benefit that those who are serving as mentors come back and say, well, hey, what if we tried this? What if we improved the program in this way? One of those great improvements has been the addition of a kickoff event for um, a kickoff event, which gives mentors and mentees the opportunity to meet in a large group over Zoom before they begin their mentor-mentee relationship with the program. And that gives the volunteers a chance to interact with them live and also gives participants a chance to get to know one another. And so through encouraging volunteers to be involved in the program itself, we've seen benefits both with their engagement as well as benefits to the structure of the program itself. Yes, I agree, Rachel. I would just like to echo that. <clears throat> I think the kickoff event is a great example of how we try to engage folks. And that was a specific re request from folks who had gone through the program. And I think we continue to see that, you know, the more folks get engaged, the more, we, you know, that we just had our second cohort finish. And we had mentors who came back and said, hey, I want to mentor somebody else. Again, that was great. That was a great experience. So I think, again, it's part of providing users, group, you know, end users, the group that you're working with, a really good experience. And then also just being open to when they don't have good experiences and recognizing that that's a learning opportunity. That's an opportunity to change your strategy and implement new techniques to try to reach people because the last thing that we want to do is isolate people or make people feel like they're not part of the program or that the program was just kind of a one and done. Again, that doesn't build longevity. The way we try to build longevity is by having that constant feedback, conversation, we send out surveys, we follow up with folks individually to make sure that they are still engaged, they know that we value their participation and that we're, more than thrilled to have them back. So again, it's about this consistent feedback loop, making sure people feel acknowledged, make sure that they recognize that their contributions are valued. And I think one of the first points Rachel touched upon is making sure that everybody knows that even if they're a mentee, they still have valuable knowledge to contribute. And that's one of the things that is really important in our program is that intergenerational uh, sharing of skills, sharing of knowledge. And I think that's one of the things that makes the program so unique. The composition of today's workforce, and, and, and like the workforce, many uh, professional 
organizations uh, brings together folks from, from many different generations, however you, you want to define generations. And Rachel uh, made the great comment before about, you know, I'm, I'm relatively uh, recent out of college, but, but is there, it, it, does that mean that I can serve as a mentor? Does that mean that I shouldn't serve as a mentor? That kind of get the wheels spinning on how some of these generational aspects, generational considerations, um, play out in, in volunteer uh, organizations and, and, and programs. Is there anything that you found particularly challenging uh, in trying to uh, build the program, uh, bring together folks from, from multiple generations in participating and, and finding value in it? I think one of the most exciting things that we've found with launching this program is just the interest across all career stages in mentoring. And in the beginning, it, it definitely, Frank and I had to sit down and say, how are we going to design this program and design the application so that we can best serve all of those who are interested in being mentors and mentees? One of the challenges that we first encountered was that our questions weren't quite specific enough in order to gauge applicants' career experiences and what they were searching for in a mentor. And so we ended up tweaking our survey so that we made sure that we asked folks um, kind of where they were in their career stage and some more specific questions about what they were looking to gain from their mentor-mentee relationship so that we could make sure we were pairing, you know, maybe some early career professional folks with mid-career professional folks and then individuals who are looking for mentoring as mid-career professionals with those who had been in the field much longer. So once we were able to define the structure of our program in order to serve all of those needs, I think that helped us to better meet the intergenerational learning and intergenerational mentorship that Frank had touched on earlier. One of our greatest challenges has been uh, making sure that we have a good enough balance between mentors and mentees. And I think when I say that, I mean, you know, we want to make sure that in the most ideal situation, we have a one-to-one -one match, one mentor to one mentee. However, that's not always the case. And I think, uh, right, that's how it plays out logistically. <clears throat> but I think what we've struggled with on a greater level is what that looks like for people on an individual level, because everybody comes to the program and says, hey, I want to be a mentee, teach me, teach me. And I think, um, you know, uh, you know, not to get too off topic, but I think that comes very much from as in informed very much I believe that's informed very much by our model of education. It's kind of banking model where there's one person who has all the knowledge and they are teaching these other folks. And one of the things we really try to do is try to break down those barriers and say, no, that's not the way this works. Everybody has something to contribute and try to empower those folks who say, well, I don't know if I can be a mentor because X, Y, or Z. And we try to, you know, we try to get rid of those notions and say, no, you do have something to to offer. You might know how to do X better, or you might be more familiar with this new software. Whatever it may be, we're here to try to help folks see that they they are part of the community. And in order to be part of the community, it requires not just a, a take or a let me learn. It's also about giving back and saying, hey, I can help that person. And that's why it's a network. And that's why it's, we're trying to build a community, right? It's a one-to-one mentor-to-mentee match, but we're also trying to 
figure out how to do it on a larger scale to make sure that there's a community aspect and in a way that can help flourish and support one another. So one of our greatest challenges has been trying to break down those barriers and those perceived barriers of maybe I'm not ready to be a mentor. And that goes directly into our program where once the program is complete, we really encourage the mentees who just completed the program to sign up to be a mentor. And if we can translate you know, 20 of those mentees, if we can get 15 of them or 10 of them to become mentors, now we see the program working. Now we see that kind of endogenous growth where everything is kind of, again, this feedback loop and we are supporting one another and the program starts to be able to grow organically. And I think that's really the key to success and longevity because if everybody just comes, takes a number and then leaves, that's not really going to help for the long term of the program. And so one of the things we've really been trying to do is make sure everybody knows that they have something to offer and that they are a valuable member of the community. Do you see any any special things that GIS organizations face as they're trying to work with volunteers and, and build momentum and, and build community? Or do you find that, that many of the things that, that you've encountered uh, do, do relate to other um, professions and organizations? I'd say whenever we're working on a project like this, launching a program, starting an organization, having volunteers, building community, whenever we have something like that, you know, there's always, uh, especially in the tech realm, there are so many tools to get the job done, and there's so many ways to connect, and there's so many different programs to use. And I think that has been um, both a blessing and a curse. I think, uh, you know, it can be difficult because folks want to use this tool or use that tool, and we have to try to centralize our data and centralize how we communicate to folks. One of the things we do, we're trying to improve upon is creating our LinkedIn group and making sure that everybody's part of that community so we can share resources and share knowledge. So that's an example of how we, we settled on the tool, we went forward and we're trying to utilize it to the best of its ability. Now, when we're talking about you know program operationally, uh, we also run into issues where you know, we we use surveys, we use web mapping applications, all stuff related to Esri and ArcGIS Online. And in doing so, I think there is a really steep learning curve. And so that can also, you know, inhibit some of our volunteers from stepping into leadership roles. So one of the things that I think is really key is recognizing that, in my opinion, GIS in itself um, has a lot to do with with mentorship and learning from one another and skills sharing. We all kind of got here into the GIS round because somebody told us about GIS one day and I'm sure they showed us a few things and we got excited about it and the story continued. And I think, you know, we all seek to give that back. And I think um, when we're building organizations like this, uh, it can be difficult for folks to to step into those leadership roles because they're like, well, I don't know how to use that tool or I don't know if I can do X, Y, or Z. And again, I think it just comes back to this, this point of making sure that we can empower folks with teaching, documentation, and providing just that, like, you know, support as a cheerleader sometimes, you know, just, hey, you got this, you can do it. And you know, that's what mentoring is all about. And that's what supporting each other is all about. And I think the GIS community as a whole does that pretty well. And I think Jarissa uh, does that very well. 
And so one of the things we're trying to do in the ERISA mentoring network is leverage that background and say, hey, we're all in this together and we can use these tools and our connection to one another for good and try to make our ourselves stronger, make our colleagues stronger, make our profession stronger and, you know, make this net this network stronger than it can ever be. What advice do you have for other GIS professionals that are looking at uh, stepping into a, a role similar to the one that you found yourselves in, uh, where, where you're being tasked to uh, set up or, or lead a, a new program or initiative? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. I think for us, it has been... Um, uh, a real fun process because we've taken the program, you know, through many iterations. And I think the, the feedback that I'd give is, you know, keep it simple. That's number one. Keep it simple, both with the tools that you're using, how you're communicating. Also, you have to lead by example. Again, folks want to work with leaders who get their hands dirty, who step up in those difficult times. And if you give folks the opportunity to do so, I think they will. So I think it's really about keeping it simple leading by example, and making people feel welcome. Again, we go back to that, you know, if people feel welcomed, they are more likely to engage. If they're more likely to engage, then you're more able to ask, you're able to ask more of them and uh, encourage them to step up. So again, I think it's about this, you know, positive reinforcement, keeping things very simple. Rachel mentioned clear cut instructions, knowing what our end goals are and how we get there, because there can be a lot of noise in the process. You know, we can do this and we can do that. And there's so many things we can do. And it's about thinking about, you know, what is what is the service we're trying to deliver? What is the end goal here? And how do we get there? And I think keeping it simple is, is really important. I would add to that as well that we were fortunate in that when we were taking on this leadership role, we had, we were provided with lots of guidance and institutional knowledge on what had worked previously and what hadn't worked. And so we were armed with this knowledge going in of knowing the landscape. And then we were able to bring together our group of volunteers and sit everyone down and work collaboratively on that roadmap that we talked about. So we had a nice visual. We had everyone looking at the same screen and talking things through and really using the complementary skill sets of all of the volunteers that we work with because everyone wants to be there and everyone wants to contribute. And so we wanna make sure that we're listening to perspectives and making sure that we're thinking about all of the different ways we could build the program and all of the different ways that we could handle problems as they arise. And so I think by making sure that we're very receptive to feedback and making sure that we are considering all different perspectives um, we've really been able to harness the enthusiasm of the volunteers who are excited to make the mentoring network a success. If folks wanted to learn more about the ERISA mentoring network, uh, where can they go? Uh, what other details do, do they need to know, know about it if they want to participate? The ERISA mentoring network has been in operation for over two years now, and during that time span, we have managed to get over 200 participants from 20 different countries. This is a worldwide organization and we continue to grow every single day. Another thing that is really great is that we have professionals from all walks of life, from all different industries, from transportation to natural resources, 
aerial imagery, anything you can think of related to geospatial industry, we bet you there's a professional in our network who is who is taking part in the in that type of work. Anyone who is in the geospatial industry can join the ERISA mentoring network. We have a form that we ask folks to fill out that gauges their interests, identifies where they are in their career path, and tries to find out more information about them as a person so that we can better match them with the appropriate mentor or mentee. The link to that survey is located on the page. And if you go to that survey, you will also find a link to our main hub or website where we have information about the mentoring network. And on that page, you will also find a video where we host one of our kickoff events to provide information about the program. You do not need to be a ERISA member to participate in the program. However, we do encourage all of our participants to join ERISA after they've completed the program and had a successful experience. And in addition to that, we also encourage folks to continue to be part of the program as mentors or mentees in the future. And so far we have over 200 folks who have participated and we are growing every day. So we're excited to potentially have you all as participants and we hope to see you all soon. Thank you, Rachel and Frank, for being with us today and, and talking about program management and community building and organizations and, and, and helping us learn a lot more about the ERISA mentoring network and some of the strategies that you've used to, to help uh, raise the profile and success uh, of the program.